You may be seated. Well, we began last week uh, with part one of this message, and if you didn't hear it, um, I would suggest you, you, know, you go online, you can go to the podcast, or go to Facebook. But again, I mentioned it was based off a teaching from Alice to Beg, and today we'll finish. And so I want to just kind of highlight, I don't want to take too much time, but I want to highlight what we said last week. Uh, we talked about the, the race that we're called to run as Christians. We talked about the notion of pressing on, and yet we said, if I just came up here and I said, hey, press on, everybody, you know, press on. There's a sense, you know, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps, and that's a very sort of American independent notion, and that's great until you try it. Anybody try to press on in their own, in their own strength with their own will, right? A couple of people, only a couple of people. This is a good church. But, uh, so, but I said that what Paul makes clear is that if we understand that we're called of God, and we're going to talk about this, and we understand that we're kept by him, then that gives us the impetus, that gives us the reason, and that gives us the ability to press on, all grounded in what God's done and what he will continue to do in each of us. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, this week. Once saved, we begin the lifelong process of sanctification. So we, we put our lives in, in Christ's hands. We admit that we're sinners, that Jesus died for us, and then we begin this process. That's not the end, but that's the beginning. And so Paul makes clear, we said last week, that he makes clear that he's a work in progress. And he kind of, I love Paul because he always kind of gives you like choices. It's always like black or white or, you know. And so he kind of starts, and we said this just to highlight, he kind of starts chapter three and he says, look, there's essentially kind of two ways to live. And you can make it all about your accomplishments and who you are and what you've done and, you know, your titles. And he says, but if you want to do that, let me just tell you about me. And then he lists all his, his, his you know, his resume. He lists all the things he's done and everything he's known for. And, and that's one way to live, right? I mean, we can focus on wealth and we can focus on uh, accomplishments and we can focus on, uh, you know, wherever we are, moving up the chain at our work and getting more education. Those things are not inherently bad. But if that's the end game, what happens? You get there and then, and then what? Like when they asked Rockefeller how much money is enough, you know what he said? Just a little bit more. It's never enough. You never have enough money. You never have enough degrees. You never have enough applause because God made you lacking. He made you craving. He made you, with, with, so you go, something's wrong. We could go back to Genesis and, and we could talk about the, the first thing that happens in the garden when sin manifests is, yes, we're disconnected from God, but also we have an identity crisis. You see it right there in scripture. We recognize something's not quite right. And each of us as human beings are going to spend the rest of our life trying to figure out what's missing. And all you have to do is talk to somebody that's got a lot of money or talk to somebody that, you know, is, is very well-known or famous or whatever it is and say, you know, how do you feel? Are you fulfilled? Are you, you know, what does it for you? And some people will say, well, they're family. That's good. But not many people say their accomplishments. And so Paul says, all those things that I did, everything I've given my entire life to up until this point, compared to knowing Jesus and being found in him, those things are garbage. They're worthless. They're less than nothing. And then with that backdrop, which is essential, Paul begins to talk to us about what the Christian life looks like. So I don't know where you are. I don't know, like Pastor Jamie said, I don't know what your past looks like. I know what my past looks like. Most of you guys know what my past looks like too. 
We said that Paul stood by, and we kind of, we, we sensitize scripture sometimes. Paul stood by as a guy was stoned to death. Can you imagine standing there and co-signing that? And this is the same Paul that would go on to write most of the New Testament. It's not about you yesterday, it's about you tomorrow. And it's about what you can do in Jesus. A pastor friend of mine used to say your abilities are your biggest liabilities because those are the things you can do without God. God wants a people who say, here I am, send me. And so hopefully after this message, we'll all be in line to do just that. Amen? Called by God, kept by Christ, and persevering toward the promises of Scripture. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. At this time, we'll dismiss our kids to South Coast Kids. Father, Lord, we thank you for this time where we can gather here together, as Jamie said, to worship you, to be in your presence, to just be in your presence. Father, help us this moment to realize that, that it's only because of Christ that we can come into your presence, that we can be before you. Father, change our hearts by the power of your word and your spirit. We submit ourselves to you now, God. My prayer for each person in this room, as as Ruth said, if you're holding on to something, just consider for a minute, if you let go of that, that your heavenly Father will replace it with something better. So have your way in this place, God, and all that that means in Jesus' name, amen. So we said we're in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to read that again. Paul says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Again, saying that he's on a journey, even he has not arrived. But I press on. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And therein lies both the how and the why. How do we press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own? It has to do with being kept, and we're going to talk about it. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who, of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We also said last week, if you remember the quote from Chariots of Fire after the race, He loses, he sits down, he's depressed, and he says, if I can't win, I won't run, to which his lady friend replied, if you don't run, you can't win. That's why the issue is a call to obvious commitment to the basics, called by God. What does that mean, called by God? Is it an audible call? Where does it come from? You know, I was just talking to to Pastor Jamie about how difficult this calling is. And make no mistake, it's a calling. I, I can't imagine anybody in their right mind, which explains a lot, would want to be a pastor. I've done all kind of stuff in my life, right? I used to dig holes, you know, and then, and then be like, man, this manual labor is hot. I want to be the guy who just tells everybody else where to dig holes, right? 
And so then you become that guy, and you realize that when you're the guy digging holes, you just dig a hole where somebody tells you. You don't have to think. It doesn't matter anymore. But then when you're the guy who has to figure out where all the holes go, now you get home, now you think about it. Do I have enough guys to dig holes? And now it's, it's like another level of difficulty, right? And then you add the spiritual component to that, right? Because there's the physical, there's you know, the mental, emotional, you know, psychological, and then there's the spiritual. There's a different level of exhaustion. Where I say, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, I don't want to help this person. The other day, this is my mother, she here today, I don't see her, good. So my wife says, why don't you go cut your mother's grass? And the minute she said that, I thought, I should really do that. And I thought, I w- why would I-, I would pay somebody, why am I going to, I'm going to drive, this can take me five hours, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, this is just not a good use of my time. And I thought, I had just had this burden, I'm like, nah, you really, I mean, it's not the, you know, I'm going through all the math, it's not that. It's just the point. Show up, cut your mother's grass. So I show up, and the garage is locked, and I call her, and she's like, well, I'm at the restaurant. I just sat down. I'm like, no problem. I'll get you next time. She's like, it was the thought that counts. So the Lord kind of saved me. (laughs) What was my point? My point is that sometimes you do what you don't want to do because it's the right thing to do. Because it's something a little bit deeper pushing you forward. What's the message? I love you, Mom. I'll take care of it, Mom. But there's a lot of burdens like that. I mean, that's my mother. That's somebody that's, you know, I'm supposed to. But what about somebody that's really difficult? Nobody here. But what about if there was somebody, hypothetically, that was really difficult to deal with? You know how much easier it was when I worked with machines, computers? But what? But the calling. You know, when I was in Teen Challenge and I was getting to the end, I thought to myself, After this experience, I lost my father. I I went through this addiction. I was separated from my family. Christ called me. He's kept me. What am I going to do now? And this isn't, listen, whatever you do, you're doing it for Christ if you're a believer. But the call for vocational ministry is different. And I remember thinking, am I going to go back to that? And I made good money working with computers, 100 bucks an hour. Am I going to go back to doing what I've always done? When I knew deep down inside, and I've shared with you guys before, my whole life I thought I didn't have talent, I don't have ability, I look at people, they play music or they draw, or I can't do any of that. But I'm compassionate, I have a good memory, I love to read, I love people. When I was a little kid, Jesus knew, you're going to preach someday. I'm like, Jesus, I don't even believe in you, you're still going to preach someday. Because it's not about you, it's about the call of God in your life. So Paul says, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. God has called me. Why does Paul do that? Paul just said, you know, it was easy when I was a Pharisee and everybody thought I was, you know, religiously perfect. And it was easier that way. I'm vulnerable now. Who wants to go from a position of weakness when you're in a position of power and strength? But isn't that the way of Christ? Doesn't he descend in some sense and become like us, though, keeping himself fully divine? Paul's referring to the summons of God, which always produces the desired effect. Unlike some of our calls, and it reminds me, you know, my wife says, hey, get up. Ten more minutes. No, get up. Ten more minutes. You can ignore calls from people. The call of God, you can't. I mean, you can can resist. You can try but he's going to win. It's the call of Christ outside the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus, come out, and he comes. New life, the dead receive. We just sang about it. 
Paul's referring to the summons of God. It's an authoritative call. It's a life-changing call. And it's not just for pastors. He didn't just call you out of your past. He's calling you to a future. Do you understand that? It's Romans 8.28 that in all things, all things, not some God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8.30, whom God predestined, he also called. Galatians 1.6, I am surprised, he said, that you are quickly deserting the one who has called you. 1 Thessalonians 2, I urge you, he says, to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And 2 Timothy 1.9, Timothy, let us bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. And this is the call, Alistair reminds us, that came to Saul as he stood there. And people put their jackets down on his feet, and as Stephen gave his sermon, and as Stephen knelt down and looked up to heaven, he was stoned. Now think of that, because this same Paul was called of God. And, and maybe you're here and God's trying to get your attention in the midst of, of, a, of a chaotic situation. Because I believe that God who called Paul was calling him in that, in that time too. We don't know if Paul had an inkling of that, if Paul had a sense of that. What, what was Paul's mindset like when he stood there and watched that happen to, see, to Stephen, this man who was called of God? And so what does it take Well, we know the Damascus Road, God had to knock him off his horse. Some of us are so oblivious, we're so good at ignoring, we're so good at pushing aside that God has to take our feet out from under us. That's what he did with me. You don't think he called me when I was a little boy hearing stories of Jesus? Of course he did, but I ignored that. I pushed back on that. And so what did he do? He took my feet out from under me. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. People say, what's the worst day of life? And I say, the day I ended up in Teen Challenge. People say, what's the best day of life? I say, the day I ended up in Teen Challenge. Because they can be both. God can use the worst situations in our life to turn everything around. Everything if we let him. You see, you never begin a Christian journey until you hear God's voice. It always begins with hearing his voice. The hymn writer says this, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest, lay down, weary weary one. Lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. For your souls, not just physical rest, it's deeper than that. The water, the living water that never dries up. The hymn writer is describing his experience of conversion. Now, you know, we get so comfortable and we hear sermons after sermons and we have information and and it's all, and we've said, you know, weeks ago, right? For information to lead to transformation, we need application. We can't just think this stuff. I used the example last week and I said, you know, we dream of things and we, we, we have these visions of grandeur and I used the example of a guitar or whatever it is. But we, we dream these things and we have like this imaginary thought life. But that doesn't mean we're, we're living it out. That doesn't mean it's reality to us. Because you know it, it doesn't mean you're living it. There was nothing Paul could do with this call except say yes and, and embrace it. Now each of us 
We'll hear the call of God in our lives if we slow down long enough to listen. If we remove the distractions enough to hear the still small voice kept by Christ. I love this the the best. That's the emphasis on this taking hold of. I press on, he says in verse 12, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I used this example before, but it's just such a good example to me of what this looks like. And I shared the example of, of my daughter, of uh, my youngest, uh, Jolie, trying to get out of my truck. Every winter I have a step, steps on the truck, and they get icy. And so she's trying to get out of my truck, and, and I, I grab her hand, and, I, and I'm helping her because I don't want her to slip. Now she's holding on to my hand, and she probably thinks from her perspective that it's all related to her grip. I better hold on to my dad so I don't fall. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how tight she holds on to me because I have her. Because she can't fall. Because I'm not going to let her fall. And I'm imperfect. But some of you need to understand that that's the way God's holding on to you. It doesn't depend upon your grip. You need to understand that he grips you. And that he loves you with such a love that he's not going to let go. You see, if it's all about how hard I can hold on, sometimes I can't hold on. Sometimes I don't want to hold on. Sometimes I say, Jesus, would you just let me go? But he won't. He won't because he loves us. To be a Christian is always to be taken hold of by Christ. Those are the kinds of questions we need to ask people. When people say, you know, what religion are you? I don't even want to answer that. I think from now on, I'm just going to say, I'm taken hold of by Christ. That's going to be my answer. Because you can know a lot of stuff. You can, you can quote the Bible. You can enjoy religious services. You can serve. You can give money. But that doesn't mean you're taken hold of by Christ necessarily. There's a lot of people right now enjoying religious services. Are you captured by Christ? Do you desire for a deeper relationship with him? Have you responded to God's call? Are you being kept by Christ? Because the Christian faith that goes on to maturity is grounded in the call and in the keeping power of Jesus Christ. When when Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them and and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Do you follow him? I mean, are you a Christian if you don't listen for the voice of Christ, if you're not endeavoring to follow him? uh, Beg uses this example. He says, why would you think you're in the flock if the shepherd comes by, right? If a shepherd comes by, and and if you ever watch this, how it works, they could have like a thousand sheep in a field. And you could have 10 shepherds on the side. And when one of the shepherds goes and he starts to call his sheep, those sheep, just his, will leave because they know his voice and they'll leave the, the fold, they'll leave all the other sheep and they'll follow. That's the example. And Jesus is saying, those that follow me, those that hear my voice, those that I know and those that know me, those are the Christians. So what Beg is saying is, look, if you hear the shepherd and you're not following him, then are you a Christian? Are you listening for his voice? 
When Peter describes the experience of being born again in 1 Peter chapter 1, he describes it in the same terminology. He says, we've been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Kept. If you're called by God, you're kept by God. And then you press on. The assurance of scripture about going on to maturity is this. We will persevere to the end of the race because it's him who keeps us going. That's the same principle of Paul in Galatians in chapter 3 when he says, you know, you began this, this journey in the spirit. You understood that this was all spiritual. Who's changed your mind now? Who, who, who are you listening to that's now making it about your efforts? And it's so common in churches with, oh, it's, you know, it's by grace I've been saved through faith. And then what? Are you just doing it on your own now? Or is it also by grace you're being sanctified? It's also by grace you're called of God. It's by grace you're kept of God. And it's by grace that you can persevere. There's no greater encouragement than this if we understand it. Because our default is to do the wrong thing. I've said it before. I don't have to put any work into, into being bad. I don't have to, you don't have to teach your kids to do the wrong thing. They just know. Right? We've said this. We've said this before. Our default is going to be self-centered. And so what's the urge? Why the urge to resist against that? You know, for C.S. Lewis, those of you who know who he is, brilliant scholar, uh, Cambridge and Oxford professor, and uh, came up with a lot of, you know, proofs for the existence of God and a lot of, wrote a lot of stuff. You know, to him, the most profound argument for God's existence was that we have an appetite for God. In other words, he said we're created with these needs and desires deep down inside of us. And deep down inside of us, and, and, and there's a way, there's a fulfillment for those things, right? You, you, you have a need for a relationship, you have a need for food, you have a need for sleep, there's all these things. And he says deep down inside of us, we have a desire to be fully known and fully loved. We have a desire for something that he says nothing on this earth seems to be able to fill. So his only logical conclusion is we must have been made for another place. We have an appetite for the divine. I love this example. It was shocking to hear. But when Alistair was preaching this, he said, if you knew... If you knew inside of his heart, if you knew inside of my heart what I was like, how ugly my thoughts are and how selfish I can be and how judgmental, you wouldn't listen to me preach. And then he said, but, but if I knew your hearts, if I knew the depth of your souls, I wouldn't waste my time on you. So he said, so let's be real. Let's not, let's not kid each other. Let's not pretend we're all in the same boat. The boat Paul was in. Called, kept, and persevering in Christ. It's never about what we accomplish or what we do or how long we've been doing it. When you think of the psalmist on so many occasions, Psalm 121, he makes his way to Jerusalem, roads that years later, we'll see in the story of the Good Samaritan, were dangerous roads. We know the story. The Samaritan went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves. 
And so you're a traveler and you're making this journey and, and it's dangerous and you're fearful of bandits and all kinds of things. And the psalmist looks up to the hills and as he walks, he says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then he says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Some of you maybe are at that place or halfway there. You're at that, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how I can go on. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You know, for most of my life, I would always reach out, if it, you know, once I left the addiction phase, I still had the sense I would reach out, you know, to a book or to a person or to anything else other than God. You know, it would be like the last thing on the list. You know, I would, I would call people for advice. I would read everything. Sometimes I would read what the Bible had to say. And the whole time, God was like, when are you going to come to me? When am I going to be your first? And you know what God does? Because he loves us and because he's, he's a jealous God, he'll slowly start to remove all that other stuff. Now, I'm not saying I don't have, you know, pastors and people I pray with, but it's lonely. Leadership's lonely. It just is. It's just lonely. And so there's a, there's a, there's a sense of, of vulnerability. There's a sense of, I, I need somebody to make me feel better. I need to read something. I need a devotion. I need to listen to something. And the whole time Jesus is saying, what are you, what are you doing? It's me. And some of you guys need to learn that because it's not about the pastor or, or, it's, or your Christian friends, those things are good. But they're not substitutes. I've used this example years ago when there was a woman who, you know, her husband was in Team Challenge and, you know, God bless her. I mean, she went through a lot and she would call me like every day. Like every day, just this something. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to love her and I'm trying to, you know. So I get a call like 9 o'clock one night. I just laid down and I'm like, you know, I'm going to let it go to voicemail. I'll listen. If it sounds important, I'll call her. If not, I'll call the next day. So, you know, I listen, goes to voicemail. Call me when you can. Doesn't sound too urgent. And so the next morning I said, hey, I, 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 uh, you know, I heard you called, but, uh, you know, what's, what's going on? She goes, no, it all worked out. I said, okay, well, what happened? She goes, well, when I couldn't get a hold of you, I just prayed about it. But you know how long it took me to learn that lesson? And, and I've shared this before too, but I, I had a friend and every time I would go see him and he was a pastor, he was my pastor at, at Teen Challenge. And every time I'd say, Oscar, man, I'm struggling. And he'd say, well, have you prayed about it? And I used to be like, you know, I could just make an Oscar doll and pull a string. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? You don't even, it's like when I used to do IT support, just reboot your computer, reboot your computer, right? I'd say that's so automatic. It was, well, have you? So then I finally get to a place in my life where I'm praying about things and, and you know, and I'm feeling good and I'm still struggling. I said, Oscar, I'm still struggling. And have you prayed about it? Yes, I've prayed about it. Well, have you listened to hear God's voice? Oh, uh, what do you mean? Praying's not just me talking? You see, when we get it, when we understand that it's all about Christ, when he's the source, when he's the living water, all those other things are good insofar as they're relational and they're helpful to us and God gave us his word and he created us for relationship. All those things are important. But we have a tendency to take secondary things and make them primary. 
to our great demise. Only when you understand fully what it means to be called and only when you understand fully what it means to be kept can you begin to press on. Can you begin the journey like Paul by saying, look, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on. Some of, you, some of you say, well, I'm not perfect, so I give up. I remember we were having a Bible study, and there was a guy here. He'd say, you know, Christians, they're always trying to be perfect about everything. And he's like, so I'm not even going to, I know you can't be perfect. I'm not even going to try. So that was his conclusion. I mean, he's looking at it. I could never live like this. I could never do. And that's, who, that's Paul's talking to try to go against that kind of thinking. Because you could have been in church your whole life, and you could still think that way. And so I, I looked at this guy and I said, you're a father, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, what kind of father are you trying to be? And he understood. I'm trying to be the best father I can. Well, can you do it? No. But why? But it's important to you because you love your children. That's the motivation. Do we understand that the pressing on part has probably more to do with everybody else than it does with us. When, when, when we're told that the Holy Spirit comes, you know what we're told in Acts 1.8, that it came for one reason, and that was to enable and empower us for witnessing. That's why the Spirit came, to empower believers for witnessing. Use the example of when you're a child... And you, you know, you have a race. You have all the kids lined up. And, you know, we, we've been there. You have all these parents and they're on the sidelines and all the kids are lined up and, and the race begins and every kid kind of fumbles and it's messy and it's ugly and it's not, you know. But what happens when your kid gets to the end? You pick them up or her and you love them and that was the best job. You did great. I love you. Don't, you know, don't give up. Keep doing it. And that's the image, that's the example that, that Paul wants to get across. That's the example that Alistair uses of, of, of the God that we have. He knows you're running imperfect. He knows it's messy. He knows sometimes you're going to stay on the sidelines and take a break, and he's going to say, you know what, let's go. I called you. I'm keeping you. No, come on, let's press on. Let's do this together. Because we all want to hear one day, well done my good and my faithful servant. In a sea of consensus, Paul has convictions. In a sea of consensus, where do you stand? You've heard me say before, a man who doesn't stand for something will fall for anything. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what brought you here, but I know that there's a Heavenly Father who loves you, who created you, who wants a relationship with you, who wants to meet you right here where you are. As we sing this next song, Reckless Love, I love, I love that title because grace is dangerous. God's love is dangerous. It's life-changing. It's life-altering. Bow your heads with me. 
Father, we are so grateful for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Father, we thank you for the example we have in Paul and so many others. Help us now to truly forget about what lies behind and press on because you've called us, because you're keeping us, and because you're walking with us. Your word says you won't leave us or forsake us. That whatever troubles we have, whatever difficulties we face, you tell us to take heart and have peace in you because you've overcome the world. Father, we desperately need a peace that transcends understanding. That's not based on what's happening in our lives right now, but it's based on Christ in our hearts. And so, Father, we pray that we would be captured by your love. Paul uses the phrase that I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I don't have a choice in the matter. Thank you for rescuing us, not only from our past, but to a new future. Have your way in this place. Have your way in each of our lives. Let this lesson, let these words continue to resonate with us throughout the week. Enable and empower us by your spirit and your word to be your witness. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.